You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. All right, again, thank you for being here. Uh, let us open our word, uh, the Bible here, the Word of God here to Colossians 3, verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. And then uh, after the message, uh, we're going to close in communion, and we'll have a time together as a family here, church family. Um, we'll come around the communion table, so looking forward to that as well. All right, um, Colossians 3, verse 12. Again, last week, we're leading into this. This is our series on Colossians, which is Jesus is the center of all things. We've been looking at that theme, looking at that idea. And really in every first passage, this, this book is jam-packed with Christ-centered teaching and thinking and, and uh, theology and doctrine, and it is just, it is so saturated with Jesus Christ. And, and so last week we looked at that concept of putting off, where we looked at putting off of the vices. Remember, there's five, two lists of vices. And, and Paul is giving us this, this putting off of the vices and the putting on of the new self, which is being renewed day in and day out by the Spirit. And then what unites us as the church in verse 11, that we're, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, bar- barbarian, Scythian, slaver-free. Christ is all and in all. And we're all on the same page there together, unified in this journey of faith, walking in Christ and we're on that process together as a community in faith. And so as we're putting off of that, putting on of the new, being renewed, he then hones in a little bit more deeply and reminds you to put on. Again, here's, he gets a little more detailed here. So look at verse 12, and you'll hear put on a couple times here. Or uh, the, today's message is being clothed with virtue. It's almost like putting on clothes, okay? So verse 12 uh, says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Verse 14 says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Verse 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 16, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thank with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, well, today's message in this text today uh, is really, the title is, I said it already, but clothed with virtue. Last week, the vices. This week, the good stuff, right? No, it's a little bit of a mixture of both, but the, the virtue, uh, the, the, the aspect there, he gives this list right there in verse 12, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and then goes on to describe what that really looks like and how it functions within a church community of a people who are putting on their church clothes, okay? Church clothes. 
You know, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, you have your clothes for church. Now, growing up, I grew up in a church where you would often wear a suit and tie to church, right? So when, even as a kid, when, when I had a set of clothes, that were the church clothes, right? You know? And then today, you, maybe you have a certain clothing that you tend to wear to church uh, or ter- tend to wear to different events. And depending on what kind of church you're in is kind of the different clothing you might wear. Um, in fact, today, I decided to wear my church clothes. I wore a nice little uh, a sport coat today. And I I go up to my daughter as I'm leaving the house this morning, and I don't really know why I wore this. I just kind of looked in. I thought it was cold, and I was like, oh, I'll wear a jacket today, right? And I go down to my daughter. Of course, she's five, and uh, she said, oh, hey, Dad, and then I was like, hi, hon, I, I gotta go, and so I was leaving, headed out the door, and then my wife texts me saying that my daughter asked um, my asked my wife if, if, I, if there was a funeral today, because Dad's dressed like he's going to a funeral. <laughs> So I was like, well, that's what our life has been recently. Anytime I put on a jacket or a sport coat, she thinks I'm headed to an event like a, a funeral. So, so our church tends not to be as formal in our church clothes, I guess, in some ways as others, um, which is okay. Uh, it's kind of a different cultural environment. The different churches have all different kinds of church clothes. But when we use that illustration today, clothing yourself, putting on your church clothes, and what that looks like for our church clothes are not, no, physical clothes. I'm not speaking about that today. It's a, it's a method for us to think this through. Putting on something. Putting on our clothing. And as we, maybe even as, a, as kids or maybe you go to school and you have a certain uniform you're supposed to wear. Or a military, you wear a uniform. You have a dress code. Uh, there is a certain way we look. And here, Paul is describing, as a Christian, there is a certain lifestyle that reflects our identity that we put on in Christ. And so as we are clothed, we are clothed with something. And yes, it is the generality that we're clothed with Christ. We put on Christ. And then he goes on to describe that where we put on compassion, we put on virtue, we put on kindness and humility and meekness and patience and there's a certain bearing with one another and so we put off of the vices of our former rags, we put off our old clothing and we put on our new clothing, we put on clothing ourselves, our church clothes, we put on what it looks like to be the church, reflect what that church looks like and how we are to act in our lifestyle and how that reflects who we are this virtuous clothing in some, in some ways. And it's so, con- it's, it's so different, right? It looks so different. If you look back, if you have the word in front of you, you can go back and see the two lists of vices that he, that he puts in Colossians 3.5 and, and Colossians 3.8. In particular in verse eight, he says, uh, put away all of these things. What is the list of five vices he lists? He says, of anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Just this outward malice towards one another, this anger and wrath. And then, then look at how contrasting that is. In verse 12, now put on, because of who you are, put on a compassionate hearts. Wow. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's just a, an incredible light and dark the difference of putting on Christ and putting on the way of Christ and following him 
is, has a marked difference in our, in our lifestyle and in our life. We put on him. Christ, he is the embodiment of all of these virtues. He is the one in which we look at and follow. He's the example. And Paul, as we're gonna describe through this passage, recently in chapter two and three, he's already reminded us how, how the religion and following Christ and, and is, is it this relationship that isn't all about rules and following a legalistic standard that you're supposed to follow. You're following a person. You're following Christ. You're following his way. You're imitating him, as Ephesians 5 says. And so as we put on a new identity that's rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, not a standard or a, or a set of laws in which you're supposed to form yourself to, but forming ourselves as we imitate the one who is transforming us from within, Jesus Christ and his spirit. And so we see this Colossians 3 worked out, but I also wanna just draw your minds to Ephesians 4. Look at Ephesians 4 with me, and I want you to see how similar it is. In your small groups, you've done this in the last couple weeks, even maybe if you've lit up or studied this on your own, you'll notice Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, super similar. So if you wanna do a little Bible study sometime, you know, take Ephesians 4, take Colossians 3, compare and contrast them and add them together. But Ephesians 4 verse 22 just sheds a little bit more light on this clothing of ourselves and the putting on of the new man and the putting off of the old and the being sanctified in the spirit as he renews us. So Ephesians 4 verse 22, just gonna read a couple of verses, says to put off, all right? So in fact, just before this, he says, this is the way that you have learned the way of Christ. And then in verse 22, he says, to put off of your old self, which belongs it belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupt through your deceitful desires, but rather what? To be renewed, this is an ongoing process, the, the verb tense here, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, what does it say, verse 24? To put on the new self, created after who? The likeness of God. It is we are made in his image. We're putting on the likeness of God in Christ in true righteousness and holiness. And then he goes on and he describes a variety of other verses that speak of this idea of putting off and putting away falsehood, speak the truth, do this, do that. And then verse 31, verse 31, it says, and let all bitterness and wrath, remember that? That's in Colossians, but here it is in Ephesians. Put all the way, the wrath, the anger, and the clamor, and the slander. Let it be put away from you with all malice. And then verse 32 actually is a verse that some of you are probably very well known. It's a verse we often memorize. To be kind to one another. <laughs> Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God, Christ, has forgiven you. It's almost the exact phrasing that we find in Colossians 3. Like literally some of the phrases can be copied and pasted, boom, right over back into what we just read in Colossians a few moments ago. So in Colossians, we, we see this idea where we see this putting off the putting on, which is being renewed day in and day out by the Spirit. We are putting on, and remember last week we talked about this, and maybe you remember the, the illustration we did uh, with the seesaw. Do you remember that? Um, I had a seesaw up here on stage. No, I didn't. I, that would have been way more interesting. I'm not that cool, okay? But uh, we just do a mental one in your head, okay? Uh, it's a, a seesaw where we, we talked about the seesaw of, of the identity and the lifestyle that, that Paul is often going back and forth between. And that process is being initiated and transformed by the Holy Spirit. 
And so he often says here, put um, on, you could say, or on one side of the, the, where he says, put off of this, put off of the, of the vices, put off of the anger. And then the next verse he'll say, put on of the virtues, right? Put on of the virtues. Or, or in one manner he'll say, um, this is who you are, this is your identity in Christ, that you are holy, he says in verse 12. He gives us these identifying marks that this is who you are. He says you are holy or set apart. You are beloved by God. You are chosen by him, right? And so these identifying marks, this is your identity. So now live that identity out, right? You don't have to work to achieve your identity. He's called you and chose you and made you his son or daughter. So be who you are. You are in Christ. You are chosen by him, made holy because of who he is, and beloved by him, meaning you are a loved people of God. These are the same words used for Israel. So that's your identity. You are now like this Israel, this sense that they were the chosen people of God, beloved by him, set apart as different and holy in the Old Testament. Now you are to be that very same thing, you Gentiles. You were not born into this like the Jews. No, no, no. You are now set apart different and you are given this inheritance that was due for them. Look at this beautiful standing that you have before God. So put on this identity. But then also seesaw to the other side. Now, now make sure you live according to that identity and you walk in that way and you start reflecting who it is that you are. Your outward lifestyle should often reflect our inward life, right? It, it is supposed to match up. It's not an either or. Now so often we like to land maybe just on over here where, where everyone is legalizing your lifestyle all the time and telling you what to do and what not to do constantly and putting you down and never saying you can't, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this and Paul talked about that in the last chapter. Do not touch, do not taste, do not, those things only go so far in regulating the power of the flesh. And so he's saying, no, 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 live in who you are. And then put off the things. Now put off, now live in who you are. And he goes back and forth, even almost in the same sentences over through this entire chapter. He's constantly reminding us that there is this tension between putting off and actually physically doing it ourselves and then resting in the spirit of God who's going to initiate the power for that to actually occur and then to actually live in the identity of who God has called us to be. There is this, this miraculous tension between the two. It's not one or the other. Throw, have some and have one or the other. No, it's this combination of the both. And especially until the Lord returns. That is who we and where we are. We live in that tension as God's chosen people. Set apart for him. It's incredible. And so this is who we are as we are clothed in this. We're no longer shackled to this past life where we were uh, enslaved or the word says we were dead in our trespasses it says no we're not dead or enslaved anymore we are now free to then walk and to be clothed in the virtue of Jesus Christ and to walk and then to bear fruit and to actually have that live within us so this this mindset here this this lifestyle this identity these things that we put on as new clothing really reflects what the church is supposed to look like and operate like as a new society as a new community, a people of God who are all putting on new clothes. We're all wearing church clothes, right? You guys all look wonderful today, by the way. No, <laughs> right? You guys looking good, right? All right, we, we're putting on our clothes. No, again, it's not the outward, right, that I'm seeing, right? This is the concept of putting on of the virtues of Christ, walking and imitating him in our life. We assimilate to this culture that is being built not by rules and regulations, but by the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the spirit that is renewing a people of God to reflect who he is and what we are in him. And so we daily pick up our cross, we follow Jesus, we're following in his way, it's this daily dying to self and living in Christ, this, this growth that happens within us 
through the power of the Spirit. It's the putting on of the clothing of Christ that makes us more and more in his likeness, not like ourselves. And the more we put on, the more we we blend into this culture of Christ, the more we reflect Christ to the world and the outside culture, the more we spread the light of Jesus, the more that we allow God's word to dwell within us and to grow with him. The status change, this, this, this status of identity is this one-time thing, and then this change doesn't always happen overnight. It is a process and a journey, a lifetime, and a, li- a lifetime of, of, of the sanctification and the lifestyle change that happens over a lifetime of growing and doing what this passage is, is challenging us to do. And so in that culture, as we are all growing together, as we all, none of us have arrived yet, but as we all growing together in this family, we have to recognize that Paul reminds us that, that we need to be careful because we, we gotta bear with one another and be patient, right? Because we're all growing together. And so we can't always just accuse because this idea together in this community as we grow together, we have to, as it says in verse 13, bearing with one another. So, so he says in verse 12, you know, be patient, why does he say that? Well, then he says, you know what patience looks like? Verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against another, or someone sinned against another, this idea, right? Implying that these things are gonna happen in a community uh, that is growing together. And as a community comes together and grows together, we need to remember to bear with one another and forgive one another just like Christ has forgiven you. This is that practical outworking of your identity because you are the chosen people of God. You are the church. Now work that out in your life. Bear with one another. Uh, work with one another. As Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 says, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Maintaining peace and unity in love is really the theme of this passage in Colossians where he says in verse 14, above all put on love, which binds everything together. Love and peace, this idea, this, this certain measure of bearing with one another as a diverse congregation of people. Y- you are going to be required to show a measure of tolerance for one another, right? Tolerance. That's a word, it's kind of a buzzword where you have kind of the old traditional version of tolerance and then the t- new traditional, uh, modern, new modern way of explaining tolerance where even using that word can be so confusing and I was like, do I even say that word? It can be so confusing, but new tolerance often means that you have to be completely affirming of everything out there even if it's not true. We don't wanna talk about sin or we don't wanna do something wrong or or we don't wanna do something untrue here. So we're in the sense we just come to this place where we affirm you and we don't ever mention anything. We just affirm constantly, right? And, And ultimately I believe you can affirm someone in love to the point all the way to death. Where affirmation and just telling you you're always right even when you're wrong is not loving someone. And so he's saying this sense of love binds us together because it's centered around the truth of God's word that we ought to be very incredibly intolerant to sin, right? And to false teaching and things that are not right. As Scott McKnight says, truth is not sacrificed on the altar of harmony, but personal feelings, my personal feelings, they are often sacrificed on the altar of, unity, of harmony. I will willingly often take my personal feelings about something or my personal preferences or my certain conscience in this manner or that and, and take that and say, you know what, that is not worth it to sacrifice the harmony and peace within a congregation. 
But there are many times where you need to be willing to sacrifice, uh, uh, you, may, you never take truth, I guess you could say, and sacrifice it in the place of the others. But there are many times when we put our own personal preferences up there all the time. And so he's saying we need to be tolerant when in areas of, of these kind of lesser things. That there are gonna be times when we come together and, and our personalities rub each other the wrong way and we, we need to come together and the Bible says bear with one another. Like, like just bear with one another. Work in a tolerating manner towards each other for we are different people. We're very different, very different personalities and we come together to tolerate one another. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Bearing with each other even all the quirks that we have in inside of us and all the quirks that I have, right? Because why? We're growing together in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I went to a school, uh, DCA, and it's one of its mottos was what we are to be, we are now becoming. What we are to be, we are now becoming. So right now, in this moment, we are becoming more and more like Christ. So bear with one another as we grow and go through those growing pains, right? And I think that's a lot of what Paul is saying. Be patient with each other. And so we're centered and following as we walk in Jesus, we follow him in the way and we, and we uphold the truth of Jesus Christ. And so following Jesus Christ is really part of what this is, is he's, he's talking about, yes, bear with one another in verse 13. You have a complaint with one another and then he says, forgive one another. But uh, don't you love when the word gives you an example, right? Don't just, hey, forgive each other. Oh, that's easy, right? Hey, kids, come on, get along. Forgive each other, right? <laughs> it doesn't always work. All right, I forgive you. Boom, move on, right? What, what does he say? Verse 13. Hey, forgive one another. Well, why? Or how? Well, as the Lord has forgiven you. You're like, oh, shoot, he did, didn't he? <laughs> you know? And so now the response is follow Christ and his forgiveness and his model of forgiveness. Now you too forgive each other just like Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians 5 also gives you the same. Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2 talks about how we are to imitate God like little children imitate him like a little child and then it says walk in love walk in love and love one another just like God has loved you just like Christ loved you and then it says it gives you an example how are we supposed to love like Christ loves you know the way that he sacrificed himself for you and gave his life for you he says and put himself on the altar as a sweet smelling savor to God that's the same manner in which you're to love each other and you're like whoa it always just elevates it right hey hey love each other oh got that high five God yeah oh shoot now I'm supposed to give my life to someone else and sacrifice myself for them like Christ did for me oh forgive each other oh that's easy I got that down and then you're like forgive each other just like God has forgiven you and then you can get into all the ways that God has forgiven us We don't hold grudges against each other. We reconcile, we confess our sins to each other when we have wronged each other, and we work together in love. Why? Because love is the binding agent, right? The next verse here in verse 14, what? What is the thing we're supposed to above all put on? I love it simplifies this. Above everything, above all. Like if you just want me to simplify it for you, here you go. Verse 14, above all, put on love. Put on love. Paul knows, again, in a society, a new community, putting on new clothes that are following Jesus as we're walking in a new way, we're gonna need to bear with one another. And the best way to bear with one another is to ultimately love each other. It is a society that is not built on laws and regulations and mandates, but a law that is built on love. And the ultimate ideal of love is built in Jesus Christ. Above all, he says, clothe yourselves. Put on the clothes of love. This is very familiar to 1 Corinthians 13, right? The, the love chapter. You're familiar with that chapter. 1 Corinthians, it says the greatest of these is love. 
I mean, you can do all this other stuff and have all these other things and exciting things, but if you're not loving, then what do you have? You have nothing, nothing. And so he says, uh, love is the greatest of these. Faith, hope, yes, but love is the greatest because it's the glue. It's the binding agent that holds everything together. It's, it's the duct tape, okay? <laughs> what did you learn in church? Love is duct tape, okay? Duct tape, right? It's the thing that holds everything together. You're trying to build as I do. I'm really good at building with duct tape. That's about all I can build with, right? Because I'm not very skilled. But duct tape, man, it's amazing what you can do with duct tape, right? It's amazing what you can hold together with duct tape. You can go on some YouTube videos and see some incredible creations and massive things that they've built solely out of duct tape. You ever seen those things? It's incredible. Duct tape is an incredible thing. It's the glue. It's the tape. It's the thing that holds it all together. Otherwise, it would fall apart. So love is that sense of the thing that holds us together. So Paul gives us this example of what unites us. How is it that we are bound together? It says we are literally knit together. It binds us together in perfect harmony. In perfect harmony. It is this beautiful harmony that the worship team sings in. The beautiful resonance that we are all singing the same song but we're all singing different notes. Some of those notes are on purpose and some of those notes, because you don't even know what a note is, but hey, we make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? Amen. So, so we sing to him, but we're all singing the same song, but we're singing different notes. And what joins us together is the harmony that a diversity of notes make that sound in a beautiful resonance of that sound out to God to glorify him in music. And so the sense of it is perfect harmony. It is peace that is brought around by love. But love is similar to the word tolerance, right? As we know, what does it mean to really love someone? We talked about that, giving ourselves of it. Tolerance can mean something totally different than maybe it's supposed to mean. Love can be misinterpreted to mean, right? Approval of everything. We just love them to death, right? But rather this idea of sometimes love hurts at times, right? Love hurts. In fact, Corinthians talks about Paul and his love that he has for the Corinthians that he wrote in the letter of 1 Corinthians some really hard things. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians? Some of the coolest passages in there and powerful passages and there's some passages that are really tough. The Corinthian church was going some challenging times and they were enduring and, and they were in, in sin and they were in all these things and Paul wrote some tough stuff. So in 2 Corinthians, he addresses the tough stuff and the tough love he gave them in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter seven, verse eight, he says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though at times I did regret it, I, I now see that my letter caused you sorrow. It caused you hurt, it hurt you. Tears were caused by my letter, but for a short time, because now I rejoice, not because I, you were sorrowful, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Isn't that beautiful? And in the way that he loved them so dearly, he was willing to, to tell them the things they needed to hear. So above all, put on love, for love looks like many different things. Sometimes it is a tough love of, of standing and, and saying the truth of what needs to be said, right? For that's actually, in fact, the most loving thing you can do for someone. Proverbs 27, six, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Right, we, 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 the faithful, those wounds that might hurt, but that's what's faithful, that's what we need. But the, the kisses of an enemy are gonna be profuse and all over the place. Right, and so 
So this is what we need to hear, not to have our ears tickled to what we want to hear, but often to be told what we need to hear, and that might often be the most loving thing we can do. So put on love, for that's what's going to bind everything together. Do it out of a heart of love, not of, out of um, a response of anger or wrath or malice or slander, but to do it out of love for the truth of God's word, for that is what, as he says in verse 15, that is what is going to allow something to rule in your life. And what is we, we're all wanting these days? As life is so uh, tumultuous and confusing oftentimes, we are wanting sometimes, I just want rest. I just want some peace. And so this point here is to let peace rule. Peace rules. If you look at verse 15, I think it is. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. God's peace to rule in our hearts and the word anxiety I hear all the time in these times of worry and stress and difficulty and that to allow peace to rule is the centered way of living, that we live in him, rooted and grounded in peace. And again, peace, like love and like tolerance, isn't, it's gotta be thought of it in this manner as well, that it's not this spiritual, super spiritual escapism that we just escape into the clouds and ignore the issues that we're in. Just kind of escape where we are and to to just neglect the people around us that we're just in peace, man, I'm just at peace. But though you're wronging people at that very moment. There's true centered peace allows us to be peaceful in the middle of a storm because we know peace is made possible through Jesus Christ. See, before we weren't at peace with God and with man. But because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we are now able to be reconciled to Jesus and to God and now we can be reconciled to one another in our relationships. So we live in a place knowing that peace is achievable, that peace is possible, not because of the peace that I have created, but because the peace and the playing field that God has made, that God has done, for that playing field used to have walls everywhere, but in Ephesians it says that he has broken down the walls, the dividing walls of hostility, and he has restored them with his peace and with his love. And so Christ allows us to live in peace with one another, to let peace rule in our lives, reign in our lives, like peace is king in me. That's possible because of what Jesus has done. That's possible in our churches. Hey, that's possible in your marriage. It's possible because of the peace that Jesus supplies you is something that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that he gives and he puts in within you to live in a way where you trust him. And I love this word as we're kind of coming to a close here. This idea here, uh, this word rule, peacing, peace, uh, let peace rule in your hearts. That word rule literally means umpire. I like baseball, right? Uh, umpire, an umpire who really just, his full-time job is just be yelled at all day long, right? right? But that job is, a, is an important job. He is umpiring the game, refereeing the game, you could say. And so he is saying, let peace umpire your life. Let peace be the rule within your life. Rather than creating rules and regulations to keep you at peace, be at peace in Christ and allow his peace to be the umpire of your life. And then lastly, as these two last kind of points here is to dwell in the word. As it says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And then it says eventually here, as you'll notice it says there in verse 15, be thankful Verse 16, thanks, thankfulness in your hearts. And then verse 17, giving thanks. You'll see thanksgiving mentioned three times there in those verses. And so at first it mentions dwell in the word. Let God's word and, and this scripture, let it, let it take root in you to a point where it, it gives the picture of let it have a home inside of you. Isn't that cool? That God dwells with us. Let his word live in you. And it says let it dwell. Let it have a home 
where it has a natural place for it to live and to be and for it to exist to the point where it makes a home within you. And therefore, out of that home comes the word of Christ, comes the message of Christ. So in verse 16, let the word of Christ, the message of Christ, let it live and dwell in you richly. Not, not, not this flaky, dry emptiness, these platitudes of like just high five, you'll do better next time, but really a, a, a rich, fulfilling fullness of God that makes a home within you that then what happens? It lives within us, stays there, right? No. When it lives within us, it says then we teach and admonish one another. Is that only for people like me? No, it actually doesn't mention pastors or elders. I feel like it should. In the, no, it doesn't mention me or the elders in this passage. In fact, it's talking to you. Teach and admonish. The word admonish there is warn or counsel, okay? So counsel one another. Warn each other. Teach each other. From where, what, how? From the word of Christ that's dwelling within you. From the fact that you've been living in a community of people that are putting on the clothes of the virtue of Christ and it comes without you, it spills without you. You can't help but teach one another, counsel each other, help each other so that I don't have to do it all, right? No, no, but that so we are together a priesthood of all believers. That we together are a church that is building one another up that is bearing each other's burdens. Yes, elders have the responsibility from the God in his word in Titus and Timothy that they are to be apt or able to teach God's word, to correct doctrine and to present the truth of God. That is their chief responsibility. It actually says it right there, uh, the, the qualifications of an elder listed right there in scripture. But yet every believer also has the responsibility to teach and admonish one another. And then every believer, it says, has a responsibility in verse 16, and we like this one, or Chad Hillfest likes this one, right? Uh, singing, right? Singing, worship. And I love it. It gives a little diversity of the worship, uh, right? It says what? Singing psalms, scripture, singing hymns and spiritual songs. A variety of worship may take place within the church and without, and there are different varieties of, of um, cultures surrounding worship, what it should be like, what it should sound like, depending on which nation you are in, depending on what country you live in, what culture that you are in, and yet it looks like this rich diversity of praise, singing from without. The word of cross lives within us. We sing with hymns and spiritual songs, and then it says we do all of this with thankfulness in our hearts. You ever heard of the little phrase, attitude of gratitude, right? Okay, I don't know where I heard that, but somebody's like, you have an attitude of gratitude. You're like, yay, I don't know what that means, right? But attitude of gratitude, I hope that sticks in your head. Why? Because this is where at the end, this is what I wanna finish with. What is all this built out of? What's the source, or in a sense, the motivation for teaching, admonishing, and to putting on, and what, what's the source of all of this? We're built out of this identity and lifestyle with this already but yet not yet fully complete. What, how are we to be what we are becoming? We're this new society, a new community, newly clothed people of God, new life and new creation. But what truly motivates us for us, for this? Where does it all come from? What drives us to continue in this journey? You see, God's church, this church, the greater church isn't a society that's now built out of fear or legalism, or, or rule-making, but it's a people of God that are built out of a love for the ruler and because of his grace. And that breeds from within us, you know what that breeds? Thanksgiving and gratitude. 
as a people who aren't looking for handouts or people looking for this is what I deserve. And I'm speaking spiritually, don't mix the metaphors that I'm using here, right? This is this idea of this spiritual, God, I deserve this because of who I am in you. You, you said you would, so you better do it, right? That's a demand of God. Rather, I, I come to him with a heart of thanksgiving. Uh, Mark Maynell puts it this, we are not a people that are shaped by rules. We are shaped by the ruler. Right? Uh, we are not taxpayers with rights within the church. We are sinners saved by grace. And when you operate out of a heart of grace, when you operate out of a, I don't deserve this, but I am amazed that I'm here right now. When you operate out of that heart of grace, it can't help but constantly breed a thankful heart, or as it says in verse 16, thanksgiving in your heart. It can't help but breed. That means everything you do, you do it for God's glory, giving thanks to him for who he is. It just, whatever you do, like, isn't that cool? I could give you a nice little list of all the rules of when you do this, make sure you give thanks. Hey, when you guys go over there, make sure you give thanks. Hey, when you go do that, give thanks. No, he actually just gives you a nice qualifying statement. He doesn't give you any rules, regulation. He just says, hey, put on love, put on Christ, follow him, follow his way, imitate Christ, live in him, and then, hey, whatever you do, <laughs> whatever. It doesn't matter, you're enjoying the game this afternoon, Give thanks to God for that enjoyment that you get to have. You're holding your kids and loving them. Enjoy them and have and enjoy the life that he's given you and give thanks to God. Eating a meal, give thanks to him. Working hard in a job that you don't really like, but you just gotta do it. Give thanks to him for having an ability to, to provide. In anything and in everything, give thanks to him because we're a people who are living with a heart filled by the grace of God. It is by his grace. And so Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks. And 1 Corinthians 10.31, maybe you're familiar with this. Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Live with this attitude of gratitude about you because of who we are in him and how he is transforming us to be more like him every day. Be thankful for that. 